It's the most wonderful time of the year here on the Film and Whiskey Podcast. Bob, you know that that can only mean one thing. That means it's cruise miss, baby. Cruise miss. We are looking at the life and times of our favorite actor named Cruise this time around as we ring in Christmas the only way we know how. This is the, the Film and Whiskey Podcast. Hey, everybody, welcome into the Film and Whiskey Podcast. I'm Bob Book. I'm Brad G. And this week, it is cruise miss. Oh, Bob, I I am grinning ear to ear right now. I know you I are. I love cruise miss. Man, <laughs> once a year, we celebrate uh, you know, the birth of our Lord and Savior by looking at the films of the world's most famous Scientologist. So uh, it, is a, it is a very <laughs> ecumenical time here on Film and Whiskey, folks. It, it sure is, guys. It, <laughs> it is such a pleasure year after year to come back in the holiday season and look at two of our favorite Toms. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had a great time with Tom Hanks. You can go back and listen to our Thanksgiving Volume 4 episode where we reviewed Saving Mr. Banks. Today, we are going a little, uh, a little more, how should I say it, mature mm. on the uh, rating scale. This is not a Disney movie, folks. This is Tom Cruise in the 90s. It sure is. In all of his R-rated glory. Back when Tom Cruise actually took risks, folks, uh, that weren't that didn't involve <laughs> jumping off tall buildings. We're talking about the 1996 box office smash global phenomenon, Jerry Maguire, a film, Brad, that uh, you may be surprised to know I had never seen until earlier this year. What? It's one of those movies that's like, you know, it, it wasn't like the the most dominant movie of all time at the box office. I mean, it made really good money. Don't get me wrong. But it it came out at a time in our nation's history, Brad, when you could be a big box office star and just have like one really big hit movie enter the cultural uh, zeitgeist and just stay there forever. And so, like, mm. I knew you know, I knew the poster for Jerry Maguire. I obviously knew Show Me the Money. I knew you complete me and you have me at hello and all that. Like I knew of this stuff. I had just never seen the movie around that stuff. And I got to say, man, what an interesting movie. It went very differently than I anticipated the movie around those quotes was going to go. Yeah. I had seen this movie probably about 10 to 15 years ago, like, like anywhere from like 19 to 21 or so. And I remember really enjoying this movie and coming back to it. There are so many moments in this film where the charm and charisma of my boy, Tommy Cruise is just on full display. Mm -hmm. It's incredible. Mm -hmm. There is also a moment about, I don't know, a little over halfway, 60 to 70% of the way through the movie. When I just looked at myself in the, in the uh, metaphorical mirror and was like, what in the world is going on here? Yeah. It seems like this movie's just meandering along. The scenes are dragging on to the the point of becoming awkward. The dialogue doesn't always feel like it's real human beings talking to each other. And all of a sudden, Bob, I had an epiphany. Are, are you ready for it? <laughs> I'm always ready for your epiphanies, Brad. 
Cameron Crow. Yep. It just clicked in my brain. I, Bob, I am being genuine with you right now. I had no idea who directed this movie. For oh, all wow. I knew, it was like a Rob Reiner film, right? <laughs> so, so you just Here glazed right over, glossed over the opening credits. Yeah, no, didn't pay any attention. <laughs> and lo and behold, my spidey senses were correct. This is a Cameron Crowe film, it and sure it's is. very obvious. <laughs> yeah, so Brad is a noted uh, player hater of Cameron Crowe. The guy did not like Almost Famous, which still blows my mind, because I don't think I've ever met anyone who thought Almost Famous was less than like a 7.5. Like, like the the worst reading of that movie was like, it's good. Uh, you did not care for that movie. And then you, you really did not care for Elizabethtown, which was one of the movies that I put up in our like teenage Bob and Brad season. I I don't think you liked that movie either, Bob. No, but it's like it hit me at a specific point in life, you know. And when mm-hmm. I watched Jerry Maguire, I was like, oh, this is just like a slightly better done version of Elizabethtown. Like it it starts the same way. The middle pieces feel disparate and unconnected. And then the ending is like it kind of connects those parts. And then there's another (laughs) ending where it's like this movie's going on a little too long. But instead of uh, Orlando Bloom, you have Tom Cruise. And so it's just like an immediate step up from Elizabethtown. Well, and also, like, I love Kirsten Dunst, but uh, Renee Zellweger is a little bit of a step up from her as well. I have spicy takes on Renee Zellweger when we get to that part. You know, I don't know what it is, man. for you? You know what? Should we just. Let's go ahead and do spicy takes now, I guess, on Renee Zellweger. (laughs) Spicy takes. I think that Renee Zellweger is a really good actress. Mm -hmm. She just has a very (laughs) specific energy that I just don't know if I vibe with her energy. Can can you give me three disparate words to describe her acting energy? I can't. It doesn't make sense. Like she (laughs) she constantly seems like like when the camera cuts to her. And there's no one else in the shot. I constantly wonder, did she do this part of her performance in a different space than everyone else in the scene? Like, it just never seems like she's vibing with the like whatever the vibe of the other actors in a scene are. And I really noticed it this time around. There's a scene, I don't know, halfway through the movie where um, uh, Cuba Gooding Jr. is faxed his new contract proposal from his team and it's like way less than everybody thought it was going to be and you know she has this meltdown where she's like sticking up for Jerry and saying like he's broke and you people don't even realize that he's broke and I'm like I, you know Renee you're just bringing a different <laughs> energy than everyone else in this scene right now and I, I don't know man it's a it's a hit or miss thing for me where it's like I don't think she's bad I mean, the woman has won an Oscar, multiple Oscars, I think, at this point. But, like, she's not my favorite actress, you know? <laughs> I, I do know. I'm Isn't being generous she, uh, because it's Cruzmas. And and in the spirit it, of Cruzmas, we don't tear down other actors, you know? We don't. Isn't she also uh, uh, our, our favorite line from Cinderella Man? <laughs> you are James J. Braddock, <laughs> Braddock, the bulldog of Bergen. <laughs> what a great movie. Oh, dude. I love that a, movie. <laughs> such a spectacular movie. It's such a great scene. Here's the thing, man. Renee's not my favorite actress either. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I think she's decent and she's solid in this movie. She She gives the performance that we need. I think she's at her best 
when she's being like calm and cool and like turns that into a little bit of frazzled. Mm -hmm. Like where she goes from I'm confident around Tom Cruise to what the hell am I doing to Bonnie uh Bonnie Hunt. Uh, yeah. Bonnie Hunt, thank you. When she goes around her sister, Bonnie Hunt, well, played by Bonnie Hunt. It's not Bonnie Hunt. <laughs> the character's name, Bonnie all, Hunt. also Bonnie Hunt. <laughs> <laughs> playing herself. Wow. Oh, man. Whenever she gets around her and is a little frazzled, and it's moments like that that make her endearing mm-hmm. to you as the audience. Mm-hmm. But you're right. There are many, many points throughout the film where her energy just feels strange. I also, this isn't her fault. But the opening, maybe not the opening opening scene, but when Tom Cruise is on the airplane in first class and she's giving like a little Henry Fonda speech on how the the first class used to be for everyone mm-hmm. and now it's now it's the people there that are the problem. Yep. What like her stare? I mean, maybe Cameron Crowe just has a thing for like creepy girls on on planes. Yeah. But she stares at him so hard for so long. Yeah, man. And like, and the thing about it is, like, you know, she's got the little cute kid with her, Jonathan Lipnicki, who developed his own career just out of being cute, weird looking kid. Like he parlayed mm-hmm. this into Stuart Little. Good for him. Right. Yeah. But also like the energy again that those two are giving off is like, why is Tom Cruise intrigued by these two? These are like the two most murdery people I've ever seen in a movie. I would never feel safe around those two people in that specific scenario. Little Ray grows up to be Buffalo Bill one day. (laughs) I just don't trust a kid named Ray. Ray is an old man's name. It it really is. You know, isn't isn't that Tom Cruise's name in uh, Rain Man? Uh, No, that might be Dustin Hoffman's name. I don't remember Uh, which one's which, but yeah. In either case, both grown men. <laughs> Neither of them is a child yes. named Ray. <laughs> they sure aren't. <laughs> All right. Uh, here's another spicy take for you. We need to get into Brad Explains, but I'm on the spicy take train today. Mm-hmm. Bonnie Hunt has always been a person that I have thought is older than she is. And I think she always plays older than she actually is. Right. Like she's really not that much she's, older. She's got mom vibes. She has like huge mom vibes. But there's a part of me that's like, I think she has more chemistry with Tom Cruise than Renee Zellweger does. Dude, the the few moments that they interact are spicy, man. Yes. (laughs) I I would like to see the Bonnie Hunt version of Jerry Maguire is all I'm saying. Where where Jerry initially falls for Dorothy, but then falls in love with the older sister. Yeah, where he's like, you have a weird kid named Ray. I don't I don't like your vibes. Your sister seems pretty put together. I'm going to go hang out over there. Yeah, her and her, all of her divorced friends. <laughs> Bob, tell me this. Like, I, I understand that at the end of the day, the divorced women are there to, like, set up the, oh, Renee Zellweger is now a part of the divorced man-hating club. Mm-hmm. But do we need all the setup for that one little bit at the end? So that's the thing is like there are parts of this movie that are very much like a Nancy Myers rom-com where like if if this movie was uh, something's got to give or it's complicated or something and Diane Keaton had a group of divorced women meeting in her home. It's like this goes with the vibe of this movie. Right. And that's what I always thought Jerry Maguire was. I didn't think it was like a a weird existential midlife crisis drama wrapped up with a sports (laughs) comedy wrapped up with a romantic comedy wrapped up with a romantic domestic drama. 
Like mm-hmm. it's it's so many things at once. And you have the uh, Cameron Crowe stand in this super creepy guy trying to convince him to listen to jazz while he has sex with <laughs> the nanny's boss. Yes. It's it's great, man. Just it totally works. All right. I think this is the perfect place for us to say, what the hell is this movie about? And in order to do that, it's time for Brad Explains. Brad's going to give us the movie plot with only 60 seconds ticking on the clock. So let's go ahead and hear your take. With this little segment that we call Brad Explains. Now, in the spirit of the holidays, we did this with Thanksgiving, so we'll do it with Christmas. Brad, we're just going to give an abbreviated rundown of this movie. This was, I believe, what, your second time seeing the movie? Uh, Yes, second time. Okay. Well, we'll go with that at least. (laughs) Uh, In 30 seconds or less, Brad, fill us in on what's going on in Jerry Maguire. Jerry Maguire is a film about a sports agent named Jerry Maguire who decides one night that the entire world is crazy and he writes a manifesto, a mission statement to change the sports world. He gets fired, tries to keep some of his clients, only is able to keep one, and works his way into... Ten seconds. Uh, I don't know. He sleeps with his secretary and then they get married and they shouldn't have, but then they make it work. Mm. The end. That's about it. It is like a very long walk <laughs> for a short drink of water in terms of this is a movie about Ooh. a guy figuring his stuff out. It is almost that's, a it's like a, a good. That was a good one, Bob. You've never heard that phrase before? No, but that, it just it just fit perfectly. That was smooth, dude. Well, I mean, it, kudos. It, it really is, though. Like it's a, it's a very simple movie about a guy figuring his stuff out as, as he has a midlife crisis. But. The movie takes so many twists and turns that you think it's going to become a different kind of movie eight times. And then it just goes in the original direction after all. And you're like, oh, okay. (laughs) Like, like it's just, it's so full of surprises. And then it's just like, nah, we're not going to do the surprises after all. You have the whole setup with Rod Tidwell, played by Cuba Gooding Jr., who wins an Oscar for this movie and is absolutely electric and great. Uh, And then you've got the setup of Renee Zellweger and their meet cute and then... Halfway through the movie, they get married. I did not see mm-hmm. that coming. What the heck was that? And then all of a sudden, <laughs> he's talking with Cuba Gooding Jr. about how, oh, you know, I don't think this is going to work. We're going to get a separation. And then so the movie ties itself back up with them reuniting, with Cuba Gooding securing his contract and all is made well. But but really what it's about is Jerry Maguire learning how to be a husband, a father, a responsible agent, a selfless human being. Uh, you know, it's a good movie, but and a and a sexy brother-in-law, a sexy brother-in-law to Bonnie Hunt. We need to, <laughs> to reiterate Hunt. he should be with Bonnie Hunt. <laughs> yes, <laughs> forget you, Ray, dude. Also, the, here's the thing: the whole divorced women's club doesn't make almost any sense, but it does like highlight the level, the the heights to which Renee Zellweger's character has has risen. That there's all these very average looking divorced middle-aged women, and then Tom Cruise walks in right. and he's just perfect. <laughs> now listen, also, I do not begrudge not being begrudge. I don't hold anything against anybody who has been through a situation like divorce. Uh, I don't know that I, I know of any divorced women's groups that meet in each other's homes. This seems very peak 90s to me. Like, you have to remember, this was mm-hmm. the era of uh, men are from Mars, women are from Venus taking over yeah. uh, all through the night. This is very 90s. 
Oh yeah. Uh, so yeah, Brad, let's let's talk a little bit about the rest of this cast. We've talked about Zellweger. We've talked about Bonnie Hunt. I think we should talk a little bit about the supporting roles, especially Cuba Gooding and uh, Regina King. Who, if I'm being frank, Dude. she's the best person <laughs> in the whole movie. Like, be like. Far and away the best, unless you want to consider his younger brother the best actor in the movie, because he he very clearly like kicks it up a notch for this role. <laughs> well, then you've got uh, Jay Moore, the the comedian, playing the douchiest agent uh, of all the in agents. the world. Yeah, uh, it's got a really good cast. I really appreciated seeing all these people. And it's again, it's one of those movies kind of like when we talked with Saving Mr. Banks, where you could stack a movie with a ton of, you know, upper B to A list actors in the third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh lead. And it it nobody batted an eye at it, you know? Whereas today I don't think yeah. you get that. No, not at all. You also had Troy Aikman, mm. height of his career. T- telling Jerry Maguire, I really liked your memo. Yeah, I was like, Troy, you've never read a memo, Troy Aikman. You, Come on. You don't know how to read. <laughs> we know how many times you got concussed. Come on, dude. Dude, let's talk about Cuba Gooding Jr. Let's do it. He wins. He wins the Oscar here, mm-hmm. and and I I would say deservedly so. I, sure. I don't know the competition, but man, oh man, he is wild in this movie, and he might be one of the few characters that f- feels like he has a a through thread keeping him attached throughout the entire movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's an interesting performance because you know I've I've seen people. In the years since this movie say, yes, it was deserved. And then the other end of the spectrum is like, this is an embarrassing performance. Like, not that it's not that it's just the performance, but it's also like, you know, he is he is the only aside from Regina King. He's like the black person in this movie. And he's he's out there being oversized and belligerent. And so, like, I've seen some takes on this performance that are like. Of course, the white people in the Academy would love this performance, but not honor Regina King's performance, you know? And so I've gone back and forth with it. I think it's a really committed performance. I think that it also does mirror some of the big egos we saw in the NFL in the late 90s and early 2000s. Like, no, that character fits right in with with a T.O. or a Randy Moss and gasp. I know. Right. <laughs> I mean, listen, like I've I've been watching, you know, I'm a huge college football fan. I've been watching Deion Sanders all season. And that dude is just as swaggy as swaggy gets. And so Rod yep. Tidwell fits right in. I think it's a good performance. It's just not my favorite performance in the movie. No, not. I don't know if I'd say not at all. It's close to being my favorite performance. I think that what he brings to the table is a level of sincerity that really helps ground Tom Cruise's character. And and I think I could say the exact same thing about Regina King. Mm-hmm. Like between the two of them, they just bring this emotional stability even in the midst of of Cuba Gooding Jr. playing this wild, crazy character, you can tell that he has a good heart and that he he knows what he's doing. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's what I really love about his and Regina King's characters is that they they keep things moving forward at a slow and steady pace, even when it feels like everything else is kooky and weird and, and way too much Cameron Crowe mm-hmm. going on. Uh, remind me, in the course of the movie, the scene where Rod is injured on the field at the end of the movie and and he's talking to Regina <laughs> King on the phone. 
Is that before or after the you complete me scene? I feel like he goes to the house after that, right? Yeah, he goes to the house like immediately after okay. that. Here's the theory that I'm developing in real time. Ooh. I think that Regina King's emotional scene is so good that it is what lost <laughs> Tom Cruise the Oscar for best actor. Oh, because the only time in this movie that I actually found myself getting choked up is when I was watching her react to her husband being injured on television and the worry and the anxiety and the utter hopelessness and the love pouring out of her. It's so authentic. And then Tom Cruise and listen, Tom Cruise, one of our great living actors doing the you complete me scene. It's good and it's really good, but I don't find myself getting the sniffles at that scene the way I did with Regina King. And I almost wonder if it's like, she's so good in her scene that you're almost comparing yeah. it to Tom Cruise's scene. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, no, it's kind of like when you have the independent that's, you know, liberal leaning and he steals votes from the liberal or <laughs> or, or opposite. Sure. Like, yeah, sure. You're, you're taking a little too much attention away for the, uh, the Academy to be like, well, this is all Tom Cruise carrying things. Regina King, the Ross Perot of this movie. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Here's my question for you. Have you seen the movie Shine? With Jeffrey Rush. I have not. I have always known it solely as the movie that ru that won Jeffrey Rush an Oscar. And yes, I think that, that I, uh, that's kind of how most people remember it now. <laughs> well, that was my curiosity is, is you know, instead of comparing my boy Tommy Cruz to Regina King, I think we need somebody to come on and, and compare him to Jeffrey Rush mm -hmm. and see uh, if the Academy screwed the pooch here. It, it kind of seems like they did. It's crazy sight, to me. Sight unseen, I will say they did. <laughs> that it's still crazy to me that Tom Cruise does not have an Oscar. I can't believe that he hasn't gotten nominated for some of his most recent stuff. You have heard me openly campaigning on this podcast for the fact that, like, if we're going to honor Leo for going out in the wilderness and eating a liver and stuff like Tom Cruise yeah. learned to fly a helicopter. Tom Cruise yes. was in the cockpit of a fighter jet. Yes. You know who doesn't do that? Tom Hanks. Denzel Washington. Nope. Nope. Daniel Day-Lewis. When has on. Daniel Day-Lewis ever flown a plane? I rest no. my case, sir. <laughs> Hashtag Cruise for Oscar. That's all I have to say. Yeah. I. We need to get Cruise an Oscar, Bob. It, it needs to happen. Now, with that said, this is an interesting phase in Cruise's career because it's almost like when you're watching The Aviator or anything pre-Revenant Leo where there's always a sense of, like, I can feel him trying to win an Oscar. Mm -hmm. And, like, Cruz is really good, and I don't feel like he's mugging. You know, like, he's in the moment in this movie. But you could tell behind the scenes he was like, this is going to be the one. I want my Oscar. Yeah. Like, give it to me now. Whereas, you know, Cruz nowadays, he doesn't even take risks anymore because I don't think he expects to get nominated. And so he's just doing what he knows will work. Mm -hmm. Back in, you know, the mid 90s, he's still at the height of his popularity and it has that like Leo in Shutter Island type vibes yeah. to it. Yeah. D does that detract from the performance for you? No, this is one of my favorite Cruise performances. I think it's an excellent I, I performance. Agree. Yeah, I, I think that Tom knocks it out of the park here. He man. So I'll I'll call out to a specific scene. I would dare any fans of The Office to watch this movie 
and not recognize how brilliantly awkward Tom Cruise's exit from the office scene is. It is the most perfectly humiliating, gut-wrenching, like, makes your skin kind of crawl, awkward exit that I've ever seen in a movie. It's very good. Oh, it's incredible. And, like, and I'll give I'll give Crow his credit here. The way he films it from the from like an upper level, you see the entire office as Tom and Renee walk out and it pauses two, three, four. Everybody <laughs> goes back into action and it's like they were never there to begin with. Mm-hmm. The whole world has moved on without them. I thought that was probably the best shot of the movie. And that the entire scene leading up to it was vintage peak Tom Cruise. All right, Brad, I think we're in a good spot to hit pause here. We'll come back and give some final thoughts on the movie as well as some other Christmas related spicy takes. All right, we are back on our Cruise Miss episode. Brad, do you guys have any special Christmas related uh, traditions that you do in the G family? Uh, yeah, we, well, we're actually starting this one this year. It's been on our brains for a long, long time. Uh, when Haley and I were first married, we, for some reason, we were like, hey, we should just like, it's Christmas Eve. Let's sleep out by the Christmas tree. And I remember saying to Haley, man, I can't wait to do this with our kids someday. And here we are with a three-year-old and three years old seems like the perfect age to start the Christmas tradition of spending Christmas Eve, you know, we'll drag the uh, twin mattress out and some couch cushions and and go all sleep as a family out in front of the Christmas tree. That sounds awesome, dude. That's such a good idea. Yeah. Now wait, when do you uh, put the presents out though? How do you do how are you going to coordinate that? Uh, we'll put the presents out before before we go to bed. Got it. Okay, so are you like you're not doing Santa for her at all? No, yeah, we don't we don't do Santa. If if we want to get, I mean, you you already did spicy takes, Bob. So I, I don't know if you want to let me into this territory. Yeah, go for I'm it. Not a not a big fan of the telling your kids about Santa, like Santa is real movement. Yeah, you know what? We've just thing. avoided. I don't, it. I don't like lying to my kids. It's really interesting. We we just haven't done it, and our kids really have had no like. There haven't really been a lot of questions about it. I was asking mm-hmm. my my older son yesterday, and he was like. Santa's not real. And I was like, why do you say that? And it was actually kind of heartbreaking. He was like, because if he's real, why doesn't he bring me anything? And I was like, oh, <laughs> dude. So I, uh, I'm, I'm currently navigating so, whether it's time to just go ahead and confirm to him or if I should like make him think Santa's real and just hate him, you know, like if he was real. <laughs> oh, it was like, I was like, oh, man, this came back to bite me. Yeah, yeah. Maybe you should have uh, been honest with them way earlier. Yeah, but then you got to worry about them going to school and like telling all their friends. You never want them to be the first kid yeah. that ruins it for all their friends. No, I know. I Haley and I have talked about that. She she heard somewhere about like you can kind of like get around it. Be like, yeah, you know, Santa's real for some families, and and for our family, mommy and daddy give the presents. And I don't know. Yeah, it, it's it's. I just don't like lying to my kids, man. I get I'm it, not dude. A fan. Well, Brad, my my Christmas spicy take, uh, as it is every year, I don't know if I've ever shared this on the podcast, but 
When I listen to Christmas songs on the radio, there's only like five songs they play and they just play them by different artists repeatedly. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I have my my favorites and my least favorites. I'm pretty famously not that big of a fan of the song Last Christmas by Wham. Uh, but even beyond that, there is one Christmas song that just absolutely infuriates me. And if you is, say White Christmas, I'm ending the podcast. No, it's not. It is a song okay. called I Saw Mommy Kissing Santa Claus. <laughs> Because there are two ways to interpret this song, Brad. Uh-huh. In the context of all other Christmas songs, which presuppose the existence of Santa Claus, nothing in the text of this song specifically says that Santa Claus isn't real. Mm -hmm. Right? So the the predominant interpretation of this song is, of course, Santa Claus isn't real. And this kid saw his dad dressed up as Santa Claus, putting presents under the tree, and assumed mom was kissing Santa Claus. Right. Now that opens its own can of worms. For example, okay. why is this man dressed up like Santa Claus if he what, doesn't know whether or not of, his kid is watching him? What is his mom into? What, you know? Well, I was about to say. <laughs> but also, this, <laughs> right, kid, right. this kid now thinks that his mom is an adulteress and yeah. that she is cheating on dad with this mm -hmm. strange man who came down the chimney. Who comes so, once a year, brings a them year. presents, bangs yeah. mom, and leaves. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so that's one insanely problematic interpretation. The other insanely problematic interpretation is what if Santa Claus is real, right? Because we presuppose the existence of Santa Claus. Then the kid has seen correctly, and his mom is in fact cheating on his dad with Santa yep. Claus. There is no good outcome to this song. Yeah, I'm, I'm not a big fan of the word, but uh, uh, cuck seems to apply here. Yeah, someone's getting cucked <laughs> in this situation. And I don't yeah, like it. Yeah, not a fan. Also, it seems like that kid is going to go off to college one day and like, you know how kids go to college and they have like something really weird that they believe because their family <laughs> like never dissuaded them of it? Sure. This, this kid's going to go off to college and be like, guys, no, I, I know that Santa's real. Uh, this is kind of weird, but... <laughs> I'll just say it like my mom's been sleeping with Santa Claus I just for like feel, years now. I feel so bad for that kid in the song, especially like if you listen to the Jackson <laughs> 5 version, because Michael yeah. Jackson's like trying to convince all his brothers. And at the end He's of the song, please, please, please believe me. You got to believe me. <laughs> it's like, oh, gosh, this kid has <laughs> no one in his corner. <laughs> you mean Michael Jackson had issues as a child? I know, right? <laughs> because of his family doing weird things. His family and Santa just <laughs> absolutely picking on him. All right, oh, man. That's, so, a, that's a very specific thing. I, I have to ask, do you have any like good traditions that you can uplift <laughs> our spirits with? So my wife's... This, besides your son not <laughs> knowing that Santa Oh my gosh, dude. I, I have just a moral conundrum <laughs> facing me this Christmas. My wife has a very large Italian family. And so every year, it's actually a few weeks before Christmas, but... All of the siblings and aunts and stuff get together and they make a gigantic batch of ravioli, like handmade ravioli. And so we have like Ooh. like a hundred dozen ravioli between like the entire family on Christmas. So uh, <laughs> it's really cool. This year we hosted ravioli day. So it's like I mean, it's chaotic and there's flour everywhere and people are rolling out dough all day. But like. You know, my family was pretty small growing up. And so like we we were really tight knit and Christmas Eve was kind of our thing more than Christmas morning. Like we would have like we were allowed to open, I think, two presents or something on Christmas Eve. And mm -hmm. then Christmas morning was the rest of it. But uh, getting 
getting uh, indoctrinated into the large family format was uh, eye opening for me, to say the least. But it's a really cool yeah. tradition. Yeah, that's a lot of fun. Yeah, it, it's always so much fun to have those. I don't know, just those yearly rhythms that you get into. Like, you know, for us, we have my parents and her parents come over on Christmas morning and we make biscuits and gravy and mm. blueberry coffee cake and Hartzler's eggnog, obviously. Oh, my gosh. Like, and it's just a glorious morning. And I feel fat and happy and my kids have presents. And mm. man, Merry Christmas, Bob. Ma- Merry Christmas, sir. Merry Christmas, indeed. Let's give some final thoughts on this film before we get out of here, Brad. Uh, you've kind of hinted at your Cameron Crowe uh, non-appreciation. We've also <laughs> the crow of it all. We've hinted at the Tom Cruise of it all and how we really like it. I'm really struggling with this movie. I feel like the ending almost lands the plane. Or it, like it does land the plane, but it was one of those like landings where you know maybe you lost some landing gear on the way, but everyone survived, you know. <laughs> it's just really hard to tie everything together. And the ending of this movie really does pack an emotional wallop, and that that's what you remember, but it's it's just shaky getting there. And so I think if I was scoring it out, I'd be somewhere between a seven and a half and an eight. But when I put on my like logic cap and not just my emotion cap, I think it's like a seven and a half for me. Do you, do you always uh, ruin Christmas with your logic cap, Bob? I do. Yeah, yeah. It's actually, you know, once we once we get everything out of the stockings, I say, all right, now it's time for dad to put on his logic cap. <laughs> Let me pull out my calculator and show you how much everything costs. I, I put on my cap and I say, now, if you logically interpret, I saw mommy kissing Santa Claus. <laughs> Just ruin it for everyone. Your, your son is like sitting in therapy 15 years from now. <laughs> I don't know why my dad would never just let let Christmas be fun. <laughs> What's your score on this movie, man? Uh, I think I'm at an eight out of ten, Bob. Okay, I I think it's really fun. I think there's moments that are brilliant and funny, and you just have lots of great chemistry. I think that what makes a Cameron Crowe movie good is when he has great actors to distract from the fact that his scripts suck. His direction is often wonky. He lets scenes drag on way too long. But when the scene is dragging on way too long with with Tom Cruise as the main subject, it's a little easier to swallow. Mm-hmm. So I, I think out of the three Cameron Crowe films we have now watched in this on this podcast, which is crazy, I'm sure that there are a lot of much better directors that we've only watched like one or two films from. I think this is my favorite. Well, there you go. A Christmas miracle, folks. <laughs> so we hope that you've been enjoying our special episodes from our friend Zach Johnston over at Uproxx. But it is time for us to take back over the film and whiskey feed. The next time you hear from us will be our season eight preview bonus episode, which is coming later this week. And then starting Tuesday of next week, we are going full steam ahead with season eight. Uh, Brad, should we spoil what the theme of season eight is or should we save it for the preview? We watch movies and drink whiskey. There it is, folks. You heard it here first. <laughs> well, I do uh, want to. I will. I will give you a Christmas present spoiler. I'm going to say one word: Rain Man. Mm, that's two words, but that's okay. I think the title is it? One it yeah, it's is... no. It's two words. It's not Rain Man. <laughs> Gary <Rainman. Oldman. laughs> well folks from all of us here and when i say all of us i mean both of us here at film and whiskey i want to say merry christmas not just christmas but truly 
Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, whatever it is that you might celebrate in your home. Uh, I'm I'm so grateful, Brad, that we get to do this every year and that now this is our second time doing Christmas, a really great Christmas tradition. Yeah, I'm I'm already, you know, scheming away at the next Christmas that we're movie that we're going to watch. Guys, it is such a blessing to have you in our lives. We we love this podcast. We love you guys our listeners, and we just hope that you have an absolutely blessed holiday season. Ring in the new year well. Have a great time with your family and friends. And just remember, enjoy the little things in life because they're such a blessing. And more importantly than anything, Show me the money. <laughs> you got you to make me believe it, Bob. No. Well, for the Film and Whiskey Podcast, I am Bob Book. I'm Brad G. And we'll see you next time. <laughs> <laughs>